0: I want to preach out of two texts John chapter 6 and John chapter 11. We'll spend most of the time in John chapter 11, but before we turn there, I want to read a few passages out of John chapter 6. We'll read John chapter 6 and verse 66 through verse 70, and then we'll go to John chapter 11. In John chapter 6, all of uh, well, I will not say all of them, but the extreme majority of those following Jesus left Him. They turned their backs on Him and they left. They were following Him because of all the great miracles and the grace that He was giving. But there came a time when Jesus began to look them in the eye and say, there is a level of commitment that I need from you if you're going to be My disciple. Jesus taught some difficult things about eating His flesh and drinking His blood, which in essence was saying, you and I must become one. I must be in you and you must be in me. There is no room in the life of the Christian to not have every room of his life surrendered to the will of God. And this was a hard thing for many of them to understand. And so the multitude left the Lord. They turned and they went from Him. That's what it's speaking about in verse 66 when it says, From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. Thousands literally turned and left. And as the thousands turned and left, Jesus said to the twelve in verse 67, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. I want to say that in another gospel, it records Jesus saying one further thing to Peter. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon, but my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. Now, I'm going to come back later to the thought of where else shall we go. But before I do that, I want us to look at John chapter 11, which will be my text for the day. Matter of fact, I'm going to work through John chapter 11 all the way through verse 44, so I'm just going to pause and pray, and then we'll get into the chapter of the day. Lord, we are so blessed this morning by Your divine presence in our midst. And God, we don't want to leave the same way that we came in. We know that You are a God that takes us from glory to glory. A God that has never finished perfecting Your people. And Lord, no matter where we are this morning, from those that might not even know You, from those that are lost and doomed to an eternity of hell, Lord, yet, God, You are here to save them, Father, from that man or that woman all the way up to to the the child of God this morning that's doing all that they can to serve You. We know that those two and everybody in between, You have something to do in our lives and that You're not done with us. And so this morning, we pray that You would have Your way with us, not the other way around. God, we don't know what we need. We're foolish. We are lame in our understanding of spiritual things, God. How can we know lest You show us? And so this morning, we ask that You would have Your way with us. We ask that You would remove every obstruction and every diversion and everything in this place and in our minds and in our hearts that would try to steal our attention away from You this morning. And God, that You would anoint us this morning with ears to hear You, eyes to see You, hearts that are willing to understand what it is You speak this morning. God, I just pray, Lord, that you blow the roof off of this place. God, that You'd fill this place with Your glory. God, that You'd help us to not be so worried about being dignified and just worry about letting You be You. Have freedom this morning in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 11, the entire passage is about the raising to life of Lazarus. Lazarus was the third person that Jesus raised to life recorded in the Gospels. John... The last chapter of John, John said that Jesus did so many things that we couldn't record them all in all the books of the world. What we do know is that the Gospels record three separate events where Jesus brought back to life someone from the dead, and He did so all three times publicly. This was not some supposed story that His disciples made up. This was done publicly. News spread about it through the region of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. It is verifiably recorded fact of history. You can find writers who were non-Christians, Jewish historians who have recorded the same event that we read in the Word of God. Now, Lazarus was the last person recorded by the Gospels that Jesus brought back to life before the cross. He was also the deadest. The other two had only been dead for about a day. They had not been buried. Jairus' daughter had only been dead a brief period of time. She was still in her bed. They, were, they had left her there for her parents to come home. We have the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke meeting the woman who was burying her only son, the widow woman, and they were on the way to the funeral. And Jesus stopped on the way and spoke to the dead body and life came back to it and the man rose from the casket right there in front of everyone. And then we have the story of Lazarus. I want to ask the question today, what can we learn from John chapter 11 about the fact that Jesus is the giver of life? First of all, I want you to notice that in chapters in verses 1 and 2, uh, Martha and Mary, uh, who were the sisters of Lazarus, they had sent for Jesus because they knew He was sick. They had seen Him sick before, but this was looking really bad. This was looking terrible. They were pretty certain that if Jesus didn't show up, if a miracle wasn't worked, He probably wasn't going to pull out of this one, and they were right. So they sinned for Jesus in verse 3. Therefore the sister sent to Him saying, Lord, behold the woman whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, He said, the sickness, be- Lord, behold he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, He said, the sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that He was sick, He stayed two more days in the place where He was. Then after this, He said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. With the help of God this morning, I want to preach you the simple thought, where else are we going to go? This is a theme that God has been trying to teach mankind since the beginning of the ages. There is no hope outside of Christ. There is no place else to go except to the Lord. This is an interesting text because we know that Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus and that He was close to them, that they were friends of His, that at times they took care of Him, that He he would spend time at their house, that they ate together, that type of thing. And verse 5 says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when He heard that He was sick, He ran as fast as He could to get to Lazarus and heal him. No, that's not what it says. It says something interesting. It says that when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. That word so is the word un. It's found 526 times in the New Testament alone. And 263 of those times, it's translated therefore. 197 of those times, it's translated so then. Here it is simply translated So. The authors, uh, uh, the uh, those who interpreted this into English chose not to use the word therefore because it didn't make sense probably to them. They couldn't understand how the two would be connected. If Jesus loved them and if Jesus was concerned about them and if He loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, it wouldn't make sense to say therefore He hung out for two days before He decided to make the journey to His sick friend but I'm here to tell you today that's exactly what the Word of God says. Matter of fact, look at verse 14 and 15. Jesus is talking to His disciples here and He tells them plainly that Lazarus is dead. And look at verse 15. And I'm glad. Jesus said, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to Him. You see, Jesus had a divine plan. He worked on a divine timetable. He was teaching His disciples. He was teaching Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He was teaching the Jewish people. And He is teaching us today that it is never too late for God and we've got to get to the place in our lives where we understand we have no other hope but Him. John chapter 6, Jesus asked His disciples... Will you too also go away? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? The thing that keeps people from God is the false illusion that there's somewhere else to go. So long as you see God as one of your many options, you will never truly repent and put your life in His hands. Can I tell you this morning that you don't have to have it all together to come to God? The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. She had spent everything that she had had. She had been to every doctor in town. She knew that she was sick. She knew that she needed help. Her life was continuing to spiral out of control. Depression grabbed her heart. But she said, if I can just get to the hem of His garment, He will heal me. Blind Bartimaeus stood there and he screamed, Lord, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And the people said to him, be quiet. Don't bother the Lord. And he shouted all the louder. Jesus came to him and healed him. What am I trying to tell you this morning? The people who come to Jesus are busted and broken up. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Lazarus was dead. The woman had had an issue of blood for 12 years. Constantly they were bringing people to Jesus who were sick, demon-possessed, crazy in their head, suicidal, doing crazy things. Their legs were lame. They couldn't walk. Some of them were blind. Some of them couldn't speak. Some of them were deaf but they brought them to the feet of Jesus as they were, and there Jesus met them. Every one of these people had come to the place in their life where they had realized there's no hope outside of Christ. And until you realize that, as long as you think there's some other way, as long as you think that you've got other options to live by and that God is only one of them, you will never fully surrender. Now, what did Peter say? Lord, where else shall we go? You hold the words of eternal life. And Jesus' response flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You see, it takes the intervention of God to roll the stone away in our hearts so that we can see and hear the need for life. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of many ways. You know, our problem, I think, in the church, I really believe this, is that we have been fooled into trying to argue that He's the best way. We've already bought the lie that there's other choices. And so what we try to do is take choice A and choice B and this religion and that religion and this form and that form, and we try to measure them up to Christianity and convince people that the way of Jesus is better. Hey, the way of Jesus isn't better. It's the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Everything else is death. And until we get to the place where we realize, where else shall we go? Jesus said, are you going to leave me like they did? you going to leave me like they did? He asked the same thing to you this morning. When the going gets tough, are you going to leave just like everyone else? You know what we've become? We are a culture of quitters. Quitters. Quit on your children. Quit being a father. Quit being a mother. Quit on your marriage. Preacher preaches something I don't like. Quit on the church. God doesn't work this thing out the way you wanted Him to, thinking you'd somehow manipulate God and trick God if you went to church for a month. Quit on God. We're a nation of quitters. We're not committed to nothing. And you'll find the rubber hits the road in Christianity when God asks you, are you committed? Not committed to the church. Not committed to Crossway. Not committed to the ministry. Committed to God. If you're committed to God, you'll be committed to those other things. We're a nation of quitters. Jesus asked the question. He asked us, He said, will I find such faith when I come back on earth? What a thought. I wonder if He's coming back during our day and time. And I wonder if so. Surely He knew of us. Does He find faith in us? Let me tell you, if you're going to make it for God, you're going to have to get settled the same things as these disciples. Where else are you going to go? What are you going to do? Are you going to go back to your sinning? How'd that work out for you? What are you going to do? Where else can we go, church? How committed are we to the One who was so committed to us that He went on Calvary's cross and shed His last drop of blood that we might have life? If we're honest, most of us aren't committed enough to be at church more than an hour and a half a week. That's your definition of commitment. Hey, I'll come. I'll do this. I'll I'll, I'll say a prayer. But when it really gets down to where the rubber hits the road and is my life committed to Him, we fall so desperately short. All of us have busy lives. And I can assure you this, that when each and every one of us stand before God and give an account, and each and every one of us will, There's not a single one of us under the sound of my voice that will stand before God and wish that we had watched another hour of television rather than being in the house of God. There's not a single one of us that will stand before Him and wish that we'd spent some more time on Facebook and less time in His book. There's none of us that will hope that. But our lives often don't reflect the reality of what we say we believe. Because we have deceived ourselves into believing Jesus is one of many things we need in our life. Jesus is one of many things that will bring us peace and joy. Most people are coming to Jesus hoping that He's like a free joy dispenser. Pull the lever, and all the sudden joy just floods. No need to repent. No need to, need to surrender to Him. No need to enter. By the way, it is an army. It's a war that we're in. The average attitude of the church, I don't want to be in the war. I don't want to stand up. I just want to be a secret service Christian. I just want to have my own private faith. I don't want to have to be called to do anything for God. I don't want to be out on the front lines. But, but somehow, some way, we are satisfied with that. There is no other way. Where else shall we go? If you haven't surrendered to God this morning, if you are here this morning, and and, and if you are honest with yourself, you are lost and without God. What is it that you're holding on to that's so incredibly important? What is it that keeps you from surrendering to the One who died that you might be set free? I'll tell you what it is. You are uh, self-deceived into thinking there's another way. You're still not so sure He's the only way. You're still not so sure. You want to keep your options open. You're weighing in your mind, is this the best option for me? What does it mean? What will I have to leave? And does that beat these options? Heaven and hell are the two choices. Heaven and hell, those are the two choices. God does not offer a life without difficulty. Matter of fact, almost every one of the twelve disciples eventually gave their life for what they believed. Reliable, historic documents tell us that Peter was crucified upside down. John was banished to the island of Patmos. Yet somehow we think that God's desire for those who really serve Him is to live conflict-free lives and everybody's going to like us. We've been deceived into thinking the mission of the church, like I said last week, is to be liked. I'm a human being just like every one of you. Contrary to popular belief, I do enjoy being liked. I don't like feeling like people don't like me or don't like what I say. But I've come to a place in my life where I understand the only thing to will ever say is freeze the truth. And what God has called me to do is accurately preach the truth. And I will stand before God and I will give an account to God for how I do that. But if I preach the truth, If I live the truth, and it makes somebody mad, it's the truth that they're mad at, not necessarily me. We have to check our hearts and make sure that we're not out trying to pick a fight. You never see Jesus running in to pick a fight. That we're not intentionally trying to hide behind the banner of truth to hurt people's feelings. But there is a time and a place where we have to stand up and say, sin is sin. Jesus is the only way. There is no way outside of Him. Now let's look at our text. John chapter 11. Jesus intentionally waits and lets Lazarus be dead for four days before he gets there. We find that in verse 17. When he came, he found that he was already been in the tomb for four days. Verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had not, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said, I'm about to give your brother life now. Jesus was teaching us something. We have nowhere else to go. But the one to whom we go, it's never too late for him. He said, I am. The resurrection. In other words, even now, at this day, and in this time, it don't matter how bad your life is, it don't matter how bad the situation is, it don't matter what the world has to say about it. If God intervenes in a heartbeat, it can be better. He can heal your broken heart. He can save your soul from hell. He can change things in the twinkling of an eye because He is the Great I Am, and He is the answer today, even now. Even now, after he's been dead for four days, are you telling me that the Lord has the ability to reach in and change that situation? He's gone. Yeah. Even now, preacher, after the adultery has already happened, after my wife has left, after my children have gone this way, after all the pain and the heartache, after the deed has been done, after the pain has been entered, after the wounds have been there, even now you're telling me that God can still reach in and change things? Yes, He can. He is the great I Am, the resurrection and the life. And God can roll away the stone from your situation and speak life into death. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. Where else will we go? Why would I leave that? Why would I turn? And Jesus looks at all of us the same way He did His disciples and says, will you leave also? No commitment. This is where the rubber hits the road. Commitment. People say a prayer as long as they're deceived into believing, there's no real commitment that follows. but you get serious about getting committed to God? Committing to God's people? Committed to building God's kingdom? Committed to the church that God's placed you in? Committed to the people in the church that God's placed you in? You'll find where the rubber hits the road. Jesus is teaching us, you can't ever quit on me. Ever. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. It doesn't matter if it's been four days. You can't ever quit on me. It doesn't matter if he's dead. It doesn't matter. You have to trust me, Jesus says. This is where real commitment comes in. Some people look at my life and say, how how have you gone from where you've gone in 13 years? How has the church in, in seven years gone from this place to that place? Uh, can I just say, I'm not a quitter, that's how. And Anybody that knows me real well, you'll know that about me. I'm not a quitter. I don't quit. I'll die before I do. I am in this for the long run. He didn't quit on me. In the garden, when He began to see and and, and the hour had come and He was beginning to let it sink in how difficult it was going to be and the pain and the humiliation. He would be stripped naked in front of public. He would be nearly beaten to death. He would be mocked. He would be spit upon. He didn't quit for me. He said, I'm going to go. How many of us quit over the foolish things and I don't just mean quit altogether, quit church. You might keep coming to church and so you can feel like you're a religious person. But I mean quit your honest devotion to God. Quit your, your deep commitment to Him where you're living and you're loving Him with all of your strength and your, all of your mind and all that you are. He's the only thing that matters. Can I tell you something? I'm not a quitter and it's not simply because Everything has always worked out to my benefit and I've never had a reason to quit. I happen to live in this world too. And this world is full of sin. And this world is full of hurt people. This world is full of broken people. People that God loved so much. He said, I will send My Son that He will set them free. And as long as we live here, all of us are going to have difficult times. Every single one of us. That includes me. I haven't settled in my heart that I'm not going to be a quitter because of the benefits of it. I'm not going to quit because He didn't quit on me. And where else will I go? Where else can you go? What are you waiting on? What is it that you think you're going to find that might be a acceptable alternative? You going to go back to the old way? You open that something else rises up that maybe's a decent thing to follow? Jesus holds the words of eternal life. He's the only one that can wash your sin-sick soul and make it white as snow. He's the only one that can take your guilty, dead, black heart and make it beat again and put within you life. He's the only one that can cause you to be born again and give you the Holy Spirit to live in you and give you a new nature that you might be a new creation in Christ Jesus. There is none other. To whom shall we go? Oh, may God let this settle in our souls and we'll quit looking to the left and quit looking to the right and quit trying to see Jesus as some slice of pizza in our life that if we'll just put him in there, hopefully it will be enough. You see, that's what most people come to the Lord for. And they're not really coming to the Lord at all. They just deceive themselves into thinking their world is chaotic. Their world is spinning out of control. Everything is messed up. Everything seems terrible. There seems to be no hope. They don't really want to repent. They don't really want to serve God. They're just hoping that God will make it stop long enough that they can get their senses about them, and then go straight back into the same way of life that led them there in the first place. God wants you, all of you, and you either say yes or no. God, you can have half of me is to look God straight in the eyes and say no. God, you can have 90% of me is to look God straight in the eyes and say no. You will not be my Lord. To whom shall we go? Christian, what keeps you from being fully committed to God? Sinner, what keeps you from coming to Him and finding the pardon of your sins in Christ? You're still not convinced He's the only way, that's what. I'm here to tell you this morning, He is. I'm here this morning to tell you that no matter how bad it is, even now, even now, even now, God can change your life forever. It can be better even now than you could have ever imagined. That feeling of hopelessness that sinks in when Lazarus has been dead for four days and the world and everything that you know and every experience you've ever had and every person you've ever seen when all of a sudden you begin to think on that and you are seeing and you're hearing from every direction there is no hope. Christ says, I am. Christ says, I can do what no one else can. Christ says, when it seems like I'm four days late, I'm still right on time. Because I am the resurrection and the life. This morning, can I tell you, it doesn't matter how bad it's been. doesn't matter what's been done. God has the power in a moment of time this very morning to change your life forever. If you'll truly surrender to Him. If you'll turn to Him with an undivided heart. And acknowledge, where else shall I go? Jesus had them bring him to Lazarus. He said, where have you laid him? And when they got there, Jesus said, roll the stone away. Martha said, Lord, he's been dead for a little while. And if we roll that stone away, there's going to be a terrible stench that comes out of there. See, this is why most people are afraid to let God roll the stone away. Afraid of what's going to come up. I don't want to go back there and deal with that. Let's just move on from here. Let's just go and, 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 and leave it as it is. Jesus says, I have the power to do what you can't even think possible. Oh, may God give us faith this morning to believe it. Jesus said, did I not say to you that if you would believe and would see the glory of God. They took the stone away from the place where the dead man was lying and Jesus lifted up his eyes. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these words, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. May God give us the ability this morning to realize this is not a symbolic parable about what Jesus can do in our souls while it has absolute direct application to each and every one of us and the ability of God to bring our dead soul to life and to make us new creatures, this was a real event. This actually happened in physical time and place. The third time recorded that Jesus did such a thing. Oh my God, help us to see this this morning. I saw it for the first time two days ago as I'm studying through the book of Luke. Three times the Bible records that Jesus raised somebody from the dead. All three times Jesus never touched them. He touched a lot of people. He touched the leper and healed the leper. He touched the eyes of the blinded. But here, all three times that the dead are brought to life, Jesus simply speaks the word, Arise. What are you saying this morning, preacher? That the Word of God, when it is truly heard, has the ability to produce life out of death. And that God's Word is enough. That all that He had to do to bring life into those lifeless bodies was speak the Word and all three times life came into them. The Bible says He came out with grave clothes on. Now it would make sense that He had grave clothes on. Grave clothes were basically... Very similar to what in our brains when we think about mummies being wrapped up. It was just something that they did to kind of help preserve the body. And uh, it would make sense that, and it would have been proper that Lazarus was wrapped up in grave clothes. But this morning I want to put forth the idea that many of us have already been wrapped up in grave clothes by everyone else. That the world around us has said, it's too late for you. There is no hope. Too much pain has been done. Too much sorrow has happened. He did this. She did that. When I was a child, this thing happened. When I was older, this thing happened. And all these reasons that we're wrapped up and we might as well just accept it the way it is and learn how to live life. God says, I can touch you where you're at and change you forever. He can do above and beyond, above and abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or even imagine. It's never too late for God. And Jesus said this loose him, loose him, and come forth. Loose him and let him go. This morning, He's saying the same thing. This morning, Jesus is speaking to some of the very things that have got you wrapped up. Commanding that they be loosed in your life. And the command is that you come forward. You could ask a worship team to come, I'm done. The command is that you come The stone has been rolled away. And the Lord stands at the door of your heart, and He's knocking, and He's saying, Come forth out of that cave, come forth out of that grave, and the decision is yours this morning. The path has been paved, the way is clear. Are you willing to come out of the cave? Too many don't want to come out of the cave. Too many don't want to come out of the grave clothes. Too many are in that category that I spoke. All they want is God to just still their situation for long enough that their head's not spinning. And then they're going to go right back into the same old way. But God says, if you'll come out of that cave, if you'll come out of that grave, I will give you life. I will give you life. That's what it means to repent, to turn your life, be committed to God. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of Me in front of men, I too will be ashamed of you in front of My Father. This morning you need to come out of the cave. This morning you've got to know where else are we going to go. To the child of God this morning, I say to you, if you're struggling in your faith, If you're wavering in your commitment to Him, if you are playing around with sin, where are you going to go? You can't run back to sin and then whine about the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death, that's all that it's going to pay. Recommit your life to God, don't be a quitter. Don't be a quitter on God. Yeah, this world's hostile. He told us so. I don't know where the confusion of that is. He said you'll have trials and tribulations. Why are we so confused and upset when we do? He warned us. But what He did promise is that He he would not lead us anywhere that wasn't common to man where there wouldn't be a way out. He promised that in that place He wouldn't leave us and He wouldn't forsake us. And above all, He promised that He'd give us new life. This morning, are you committed? Have you repented of your sins? Committed to the Lord. So you thought you had to keep this up. All the world.